Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and you are listening to the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a normal book club, except you don't even have to feel bad if you didn't read the book. This month, we are talking about Lauren Ho's Last Tang Standing. There's a spoiler-free interview with Lauren in the feed, so if you haven't read the book yet and you are terrified of spoilers, that is a great episode for you to start. If you haven't read the book yet and you love spoilers, then you are totally in the right place because we are going to unpack it all. And here to unpack it with me is Nick Kwa. He writes about podcasts for New York Magazine, among other places. And he even hosts a podcast about podcasts. It's called Servant of Pod. Nick, hey. Hello, hello. I have to also say you are our first dude book club panelist. So oh, welcome. no way. Yeah, man. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd be delighted by that. I'm, I'm really deeply honored. <laughs> Okay, so I figure we should do like super quick synopsis and then we can dive deeper into the plot a little later. But for people who haven't read it, who haven't heard a lot about it, Last Hang Standing essentially is about a 30-something Malaysian woman living in Singapore. She's trying to figure out her love life also, of course, while trying to get partner at the law firm. Also while drinking a lot and playing like an insane amount of Candy Crush. Relatable. (laughs) So partly why I picked this book is because it felt like sort of the perfect summer read, right? Like it's just so beachy. It's like just, you know, it's like there are some intense themes in it, but it's more or less just like a romp, you know, it's Mm -hmm. definitely a rom-com. Do you read a lot of romance novels, Nick? I don't, but I consume a lot of rom-coms and and television movies, like like two movies. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of the genre. Um, Awesome. And I, you know, I'm a big sort of like, easy read person as well good so the press materials they i feel like they went pretty hard on the idea that this book is sort of like a cross between bridget jones's diary and crazy rich Mm -hmm. asians um did you read either of those you probably watched them because they're both film adaptations too yeah i actually read um crazy rich asians and the second book in that trilogy i I don't think i've read the third one okay um but i did not read bridget jones's diary however i'm a huge fan of the movie yeah such a good movie less so the sequels yeah well and that's kind of the whole deal i don't know it's like i feel like the two things i'm always complaining about is the first one is the best and the book is always better (laughs) that it's good to have a world view (laughs) (laughs) so we are also going to hear from some listeners i actually want to start with a voicemail before we dive too intensely into the plot because i thought this one was great this is from michelle Hey, Nerdette. I loved, loved, loved Last Tang Standing. As an Asian-American reader, it was even more meaningful to me, not just because it was hilarious and razor sharp, but because it put an Asian woman at the center of a story about trying to balance familial and cultural expectations with career and love life and just personal happiness. And Lauren Ho has brought 
a level of detail and specificity to the story that definitely resonated with me, and I'm sure even more so with readers in Malaysia and Singapore. And I hope that readers will come to this not just as Asian Bridget Jones, quote-unquote, because Andrea's story is so much more than that. I loved it. Yay! I'm so glad Michelle liked it. I think we should hear now from someone who is kind of on the other side of things. This is Allie. Hey, Nerdette Book Club. It's Allie from Chicago. I read Last Tang Standing, and it was a fun read, but I thought it was really predictable. And I guess I don't really like books where the main character is kind of a mess. Uh, Also, I'm struggling to find uh, critical discussion points to call in about. Uh, But glad to read along with you. So, Nick, usually I save this question for the end, but I'm really curious, like, from the resounding meh that we got from Allie to the, like, I don't know how many loves Michelle had, like, where do you fall on that spectrum of this book? Definitely uh, more on a meh side. Like, it's definitely one of those things where I, like, um, you know, it was a fun enough read, um, and I think there's a lot of components about it that that are interesting to me. So, uh, you know, full disclosure here, I'm I'm Malaysian, like, I'm born and raised in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, only moved here in 2008, so I've spent, uh, you know, more than half my life back there. And uh-huh. so there's a lot about this book that was like, you know, it's interesting to see um, almost like a psychographic of uh, <laughs> of a certain kind of Malaysian. And, uh-huh. you know, for for the most part, I think a lot of that kind of just cuts through and really rang, rang tr- true. Like, that's kind of how the worldview and sensibility looks like. But as a, from a from a plot and sort of a story perspective... Yeah, pretty predictable. It is. It is basically as built. It is basically Bridget Jones' diary, diary down to the structure and the choices. Um, and it's you know, it's it's interesting from that perspective. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, like, I totally I get the predictability thing. I feel like there are a lot of tropes in this book that don't come as particularly surprising. But I mean, isn't that part of also what makes rom coms so satisfying? Is that you do know that like they're going to go through. There's like there is a predictable formula, and you're you all end up in the same place in the end. I think that's absolutely right. And I was sort of thinking about this in relation to like that notion of rom-coms having a certain formula, you know, a three-esque structure, and sort of the things that you, you derive pleasure from is, you know, it's the specificity of the setting, it's the the character notes, the beat notes, like how interesting are these people, how much time do you want to spend with them. Uh, and I think, you know, there, you know, uh, primarily the narrative is, is a mess and, and <laughs> there is a certain kind of interest level to that, but... Uh, you kind of want a little more, a little more friction, like a little bit more uh, drama almost. And, and it's weirdly, it's weirdly clean. Like it's weirdly um, smooth for a, a story about a person who's a mess. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. Like she doesn't like get fired in a horrible way. She doesn't end up like, I don't know, in like any super unsafe situations with anybody. Like it all is pretty much fine, even though like, I don't know, would you say she has a drinking problem? I I would characterize her as having a drinking problem. However, I feel like that such designations should be left to a professional. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. This book opens where Andrea, who's our main character, who admittedly drinks a lot, but maybe it isn't problematic. We'll leave that to the professionals. She's like in the car with her cousin, Linda, and they are both like decidedly 30 and single. And they are both Mm -hmm. scheming about lies to tell their family members about fake boyfriends before Chinese New Year. Right. Uh, and I think it's also important to specify that, um, you know, she belongs to sort of this upwardly mobile 
uh, Chinese class uh, in in Malaysia. Yeah, and you know, having moved over to Singapore, that actually has a very specific uh, connotation to that uh, to that kind of uh, life in which a Chinese person moves from Malaysia to Singapore for professional opportunity. Uh, and I think that to some extent, it comes through in the book. Because the idea essentially is that like Andrea is from more of a middle class background than even a lot of her family members who are living in Singapore, right? That is suggested, yeah. So at this party, Andrea finds out that her cousin, her other cousin, Helen, is engaged. And I think this is essentially what the line last, the title last hang standing comes from because she had always used Helen as her like, as her foil for like, well, Helen is even older than I am and she's super unmarried. So get off my back, family. It's all yeah. good. But Helen's engaged. And Andrea's shocked because she thought Helen was gay. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, also kind of an interesting line of conversation, which, is, you know, um, it, I, I found that curious for some reason. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think like there are a number of I think a lot of readers had concerns with this book around especially xenophobia, but there mm-hmm. is some insensitivity around like uh, body image stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, LGBTQ issues too, right? Cause like, I don't know. I'm, and I'm, we actually got a voicemail about this. Maybe we should just listen to that and then we can talk yeah, about it. Yeah, let's go for it. Hey, this is Liz from Roseville, Minnesota. And for the reasons I loved Bridget Jones's diary, I loved this one too. I loved the like snarky humor in it. That being said, it was not my favorite book and likely for reasons why I also didn't enjoy Crazy Rich Asians. Um, I really wish there had been more fierce female friendships. Um, Also, there was some instances when discussing LGBTQIAP relationships that I just wish were more more socially acceptable. I understand that we're talking, the book is about a culture that I am not familiar with. um, And also that, especially with older generations, um, still not necessarily accepted, but with the younger generations, I didn't really feel like it was modeled in the book in the way I really wish it was. Um, So it was definitely a fun summer read. um, And I'm really looking forward to hearing the discussion and other perspectives on the books. So thanks so much. So, yeah, I feel like Liz did a pretty good job of explaining because and I probably wasn't clear about this. If you haven't read the book, Helen is engaged to a dude and she finds like a very beautiful, very eligible guy who like is totally cool with the fact that she's a lesbian. But it's, you know, it's I I could see how it would be a bummer to read as a queer person, you know. Yeah. um, And, you know, the context. Okay, so a couple of just caveats here. Uh, One, like, you know. It. I feel compelled to say that, despite the fact that, like, uh, I'm from Malaysia and I can provide context totally, here. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Also, want to preface that, like, it's my it's my individual experience of Malaysian culture. Absolutely. As a I think that's really important, yeah. and I appreciate you specifying it. And I don't want to spend this whole time asking you to like explain all of the things in this book. <laughs> just to be clear. But, but it, it's funny because, like, I feel um, and to take a couple of steps back away from the plot a little bit. I yeah. feel like this book is is marketed primarily uh, to <laughs> to the Western world. Like, there's something about it has a very sort of like. Um, a Western sensibility to it. Yet, uh, interestingly, it's like really grounded in what is a fundamentally uh, like a Malaysian kind of humor and and worldview and a and an experience, which huh. is it's, it's such an interesting tension because her, you know, what can be sort of interpreted as her crudeness is actually a pretty it's pretty par for the course with the, with a kind of humor uh, and like sarcasm and snark that you get just in day to day conversation uh-huh. in Malaysia and like as a people, not to overgeneralize, but it's also kind of true. Like we are 
extremely kind of just sarcastic people. Um, <laughs> again, not the overgeneralized. It's, sure, it's sure, just sure. what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, the handling of the LGBTQ uh, plus uh, issue here is it's, 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 it's super curious because Malaysia is fundamentally and Singapore, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, are fundamentally like conservative cultures. Right. Uh, despite the fact that uh, Singapore is modernized, uh, it has progressed in many economic ways. Uh, there's still a very sort of um, like tight control over social uh, policy and social sort of life. And so, um, you know, while there is sort of movement and while there is sort of uh, freedom of to some extent, freedom of expression uh, within within those identities uh, to a large part um the discourse around it has not progressed. Well, which is to say, like the dis- the discourse about it is very different compared mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. that in uh, American and Western states. That makes sense. Well, and I think I don't know. The thing I found myself thinking about a lot with this book, especially even just going from the scene we just talked about at the Chinese New Year party to the next scene where Andrea gets a call from her mom, mm-hmm. and we find out how brutal her mother is, and you know, it's sort of like. I think we're all at this point, unfortunately, familiar with the stereotype of the tiger mom. But I feel like this yeah. like takes that to like the nth degree. It's like an exponential increase of this woman just like harassing her daughter about why she's not married yet and what's wrong with her. And, you know, it really got me thinking that like a lot of what's really important is to realize that this isn't the story of all Malaysian people. Right. And that like, yeah. The more books that we have, the more we can have an understanding of like the nuances of any given culture. And, you know, like it worried me to think about someone reading just Lasting Standing and then being like, wow, Malaysian moms are the worst, you know, because like that's problematic, too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, um, again, sort of stereotypes being what they are, they are kind of like grounded in sort of a very kernel, a small shard of of truth. And, And directionally, yeah, there's I mean, there's for a number of like broad cultural economic you know those two things in relation to each other reasons as to why there's a lot of this pressure particularly among um sort of this outwardly mobile younger generation to couple up and and do all these things you know there are like very strong arguments already made that this is largely to do with um you know independence survival that kind of thing sure uh but yeah i think you know the characterization of mother in particular is is a you know it's a cartoonish version of it Mm -hmm. but it is directionally um it is true true to the experience i think um you know i can only speak for uh, my mother <laughs> but, and, and, I, and i can't even do that but i would say that uh most of the mothers that <laughs> i have uh, ex- uh directed with and growing up and and from my friends and their mothers uh tend to be more uh, more passive aggressive uh, this is aggressive aggressive so it's interesting it's interesting to see it well that's a very important distinction as someone who lives in the midwest i think that's <laughs> You know, I, I I actually would contend there's a lot of similarities between uh, Midwestern nice and uh, <laughs> certain Asians. So from there, we learn about Andrea's law firm, which is called Singh, Lowe, and Davidson. She's a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. We meet her arch nemesis, Suresh, who, I don't know. I, I mean, one thing I did love, which other listeners have mentioned, too, is like, this book is very funny. And like, even in her initial descriptions of Suresh, she's like criticizing how he looks but really they're all compliments, you know, it's like, it must mm-hmm. be so annoying how much gunk gets stuck in those like super long, amazing eyelashes. Like, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was very funny and charming. Um, and it's again to the predictability, like it's probably not surprising to anyone that that's the guy who she ends up with in the end. Um, but I do, you know, like 
I enjoy the like nemesis to love of my life trajectory. We've seen it before. It's not the worst, you know. It's a very potent um, sort of tension point, right? Like it's, you know, the nemesis to romantic interest arc is, is I think, grounded in like really strong emotion. And that's kind of, (laughs) you know, it's kind of what you want. And I feel like, you know, we can get we'll get to that later in the plot. But like the other option, I think. Uh, has far less kind of spark, you know? Yes, um, yes. And, you know, I think love is very close to hate <laughs> in many ways. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so from there, let's see, I think a notable scene is that uh, she goes out to drinks and she signs up for this app called Spunk, which I think is such a hilarious and absurd <laughs> dating app name. Uh, and she meets this guy who she calls Millennial Orson, which we do actually have a voicemail from a listener who was really annoyed that she kept talking shit about millennials because Andrea <laughs> technically is a millennial. Uh, self-hating millennials, as most millennials are. <laughs> yeah, let's listen to what Rwanda says and then we'll keep going. <laughs> Hi, Nerdette. This is Rwanda. So I am about halfway through and am enjoying it. But it's not, to me, it's not like the propulsive storytelling, like, I guess like Jasmine Gilroy, where it's like, I feel like I can't put her books down, like, I just want to keep reading. Like, this is one where it's like, I can pick it up, put it down, take it or leave it kind of story. I really like Suresh. I feel like he's the best written character. Andrea, I I am kind of annoyed by her. And part of it is like, so she's 33, I'm 31, like, there are a lot of similarities. But she seems really kind of immature to me. Um, another thing that's been bothering me is just like how they talk about millennials in the book. Like Andrea is a millennial. (laughs) She is not old. And the same thing with Orson, like talking about him as like a millennial, like a derogatory term. Uh, well, he's 23. Like technically that's more in line with Gen Z. So yeah, I think that's just an editing thing, but also plays into how people like broader society perceives millennials as like a blanket term for anyone young um but that also kind of makes me wonder who the target audience for this book is is a 31 year old the target audience i don't know like maybe it is an older woman that maybe doesn't know what a millennial technically is but yeah so that's where i'm at so far um also i really like eric as well i don't think she's gonna end up with him i think she'll end up with suresh but i like eric i feel like he's a good like spicy ad so interested to see where it goes. I mean, speaking of predictability, right? She's halfway through and she knows how it's going to end. Well, you know, no, you, the, the choice to end up a rich person, you know, for some reason has been uh, largely characterized as a negative outcome. But, you know, <laughs> speaking as a person who's extremely pragmatic, if I was in your situation, I would totally go with the rich guy. <laughs> would you? <laughs> oh, I would. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll get there when we get there. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious, though. I also love the like not all millennials thing, you know, where it's like, come on. Give us a break. Yeah. Wait, okay, so, what is the cutoff? Actually, I actually don't know this. Is I it like thirty-seven? I think it's forty now, or it's like almost forty. Hmm. So, yeah, like millennials are old people. But I don't know. My, honestly, my whole thing about the generational labels is that like they shouldn't go in twenty-year chunks anymore because technology is changing too quickly. Like one million percent. It's like know? a two to three-year stretch. Like the Gen Z plus 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 is exactly. Where we be yeah. It's yeah. just like they're you know we should start doing like millennial point oh millennial point two or something because there's just yeah we need better distinguishers than what we have but anyway yeah um orson is much younger than she is which she finds kind of hot and hilarious uh they go on a couple dates they hook up and he 
takes a watch and gives her an STI. Is yeah, listen, who, who hasn't story. been swindled by a by a one night stand? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I will trade you a watch for syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, um, it's super. One thing that was gratifying is to see that happen. Um, uh, the notion of a of a one night stand, and it's it's so like. You know, it's it's not conventionally what you would expect from like <laughs> an, an Asian story. You know, just like mm-hmm. it's just so, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's normalizing to an interesting extent, uh, and it's funny because like I, I'm reading it and I'm like, you know, I just like I'm clutching my pearls. I'm like, oh, in, Malaysia, <laughs> in Singapore, shit. Um, and so it's it's really it's it's a really interesting thing to see. That's funny. I mean, so do you think it counts as a one night stand? Because I mean, they they went on several dates, which is the part that kind of surprised me about it, right? Like it's a con more than like a. Yeah, I mean, it's a con at the end of the day. But like, how does she view it? So she's he's kind of like a what's the word? Like a boy toy? Sure. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's only two years. Yeah, she's not like taking it seriously in terms of like this will be the love of my life now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she's determined to continue figuring out this dating thing. She gets invited to a super swanky book club, which I can't tell if that sounds like a terrifying book club or the most amazing, like where you have, it's like black tie book club. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And she's, you know, kind of disgusted by the wealth at this house. And she ends up on the patio talking shit about it to this dude who she thinks is a caterer and they like throw some poems back and forth at each other because they're both real Mm -hmm. smart cool people and it turns out the dude who she thought was the caterer of course owns the house and is super fucking loaded and his name is eric dang word (laughs) did that surprise you that like exchange because that i don't know is like almost a fun reveal but it still felt not super surprising to me yeah i mean it's a classic setup right like yeah um it, yeah, it's it's a very kind of ah, you know, look at me, kind of uh, slumming it out with the with the <laughs> with the help, right? Uh, and it turns out that the help is actually the rich dude. And so there's there's also this interesting like assumptions about <laughs> about class and its relatability and its romantic uh, opportunity, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's inter- like one thing that I did find sort of an interesting question that I don't think was particularly explored, uh, nor I don't think it was in the interest of the book, was sort of what what Andrea's relationship to her class was and what. And just how, what she thought about that, because mm. ultimately she sort of ends up in this place of like, you know, working to achieve partnership at that at that lawyer job. But uh, we don't quite understand what the, the, the broader sort of worldview or ideals driving her choices, um, nor is there sort of any uh, serious examination of that. But again, uh, the qualifier just being that this is a, you know, beach treat. But again, that might not actually be a good, <laughs> yeah. a good like, you know, but you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. So it shouldn't be, you shouldn't expect to do certain things. I don't know. I just, I, I had a lot of interest in that topic of conversation and, and I don't think I got very much out of it. Yeah. I mean, I will say that I feel like there was a little bit of that because when we, by the time we get to the end, she does decide that partner is not for her, which and there is, and it's a very brief moment, but there is a moment when she's like, I have not actually been listening to myself and what I really want, hmm. which I thought was kind of nice because it seemed to me at least that like a lot of the whole partner thing was pressure, you know, whether familial or societal, that like she was supposed to be a super high performing person, you know? Yeah. And, and like, you know, she even has a conversation with Suresh kind of early on where She's talking about how in another universe she would have been a writer, you know, and we yeah. learn about how he's got this other creative thing going where he like does this comic book online 
that he's like kind of super ashamed of, even though people really love it because it doesn't it doesn't fit what his expectations are that he's grown up with in terms of what his success is supposed to be. Yeah, which is, again, like another uh, kind of a weirdly expected trope. You know, it's like I think the sort of uh, the superstructure here is that everybody deep down inside wants to be an artist. (laughs) But, ah, you know, but we have to be lawyers. (laughs) But the world Uh, needs lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) I also thought like the... uh, the sort of trade uh, of like uh, references between her and Eric in the sort of before the reveal happens. Oh like, yeah, the the poetry. Yeah, like you know what what are our signifiers here? Ah, poetry. You know, artistic soul. You know, it, it's it's uh, it's such a. I feel like we're scratching at something that is like so interesting about what what is assumed to be uh, authentically like good mm-hmm. versus like um, you know something that's normal to something that's human. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't know, like for better or for worse, poetry also has such connotations of like bouginess, right? Or it's like, absolutely, you know, like, oh, look at this smart caterer. How lovely, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's opera adjacent. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so from there, essentially, we end up in like a will they, won't they love triangle situation between Suresh, who is engaged, and Eric, who I kind of think of as like a sort of a Mr. Darcy character, right? Where like, yeah. and as you kind of hinted at earlier, like Eric essentially has the potential to become her benefactor. Like she doesn't have to, and he proposes to her and she says she'll think about it. But like, essentially she would never have to lift a finger again if she married this dude because he is just like so exorbitantly wealthy. Yeah. However, Uh (laughs) so if you kind of just do the, the interesting sort of moral choice waiting here, um, it, it I think in the sort of like the pros cons like rubric for Eric uh-huh. the way that she was making it it's like uh, instantly the sort of wealth is placed automatically in the con section and it's almost independent of uh, Eric's own like character formation of that wealth you know what I'm saying it's like she didn't reject him because of who he is she rejected him because he's wealthy that, that was kind of my sense of her choice uh, and I just found that really interesting I actually disagree a tiny bit about that ooh and this is something I actually brought up with Lauren when I interviewed her. And I, we'll listen to the clip in just a second. But, like, my read on that was actually it wasn't because of his wealth. Because you're right. Like, in terms of his character, they got along beautifully. You know? Like, yeah. he wasn't, and he wasn't, like, you know, some sketchy, I don't know, like, oil magnate or somebody who, like, had exploited a bunch of people in order to get his wealth. Right? Like, no, no, however, in the system of capitalism, anybody who's hyper-rich is exploiting that's, somebody. That's, so. that's a very, <laughs> thank you for that qualification, Nick. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. You're not wrong. Um, it's He's not explicitly exploitative, in which case he still seems we We're allowed to call him a good dude, even though you're totally right. Right. Um, but I think the thing that... I don't think it's his wealth. I think it's that by marrying him, she completely would lose her agency. And I think mm. there were a couple of really important moments where he he didn't let her make choices that she should have been able to make for herself. You know, and there's even mm. this one moment where like he's about to head off to Madrid for some conference or something and he's he leaves tomorrow and he's like, you should come with. And she's like, dude, I've got a fucking job, you know? And you it's, know, you're 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 absolutely right. I think yeah, yeah that, I think I I'll, I'll retract my yes. my assertion. I think that's actually you're absolutely right. It's sort of that the notion of agency I think uh, comes up more really at the second half of the book. Totally. Um, I guess I was sort of like I was just sort of interested in what the chemistry was because uh, if you know to sort of skip a couple of plot points, I don't really buy the chemistry between her and Suresh either. 
Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I thought they built up the heat a little bit better with her and Suresh. Walk me through that. So, well, do you want to keep going through the plot? And I think we'll get to the, those points where I think the heat gets Yeah, I mean, up. honestly, yeah. I think we're not that far. I was planning on just glossing over pretty much the rest of it. But um... <laughs> right after the break, we are going to hear a little bit from Lauren Ho herself. And, of course, we're going to keep chatting with Nick. And we got more voicemails, too. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Let's listen to the agency thing, because I do think, and I think there's another great example of it, actually, um, when Andrea's mother gets sick. And Eric comes in and just sort of like bowls everybody over and like flies in this fancy doctor. And Andrea's like, whoa, 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 dude. Like you didn't ask me about any of this. And and I think it like I think he genuinely thinks he's doing the right thing. But I think, mm. again, he just like doesn't register the fact that like she's not just like a, a little bird he found in his backyard that he needs to like nurse back to health, you know? Right. So, yeah, let's listen to uh, the spoilery question I asked Lauren when I had her with me. I feel like the old school version of this book might have had Andrea just choose Eric, right? Because he's Mm -hmm. very kind and super wealthy and obviously cares about her and he can take care of her, which Mm -hmm. like those are great boxes to check. But I feel like this story really leaned into the, the fact that for Andrea being taken care of like that also meant losing some of her agency and that she seemed really turned off by that idea. Yes. And I was curious why you decided to make that choice in the story. Well, it, there's this analogy that Linda gives. Um, I can't really remember the exact wording of it. Something to do with settling up and mm, like mm-hmm. using the whole, you know, do you want to get a degree in pharmacy versus medicine? I don't remember, but uh, you think I would have memorize everything by now because I've read it like 500 times you know with um yeah so for me I feel like you got it basically so she wants to keep her agency right I mean she could definitely settle up but it would mean that you know she's not being the feminist that she thinks she wants she is right she and I do believe that Andrea is a feminist and I wanted her to be a feminist and for a lot of people in this part of the world um being a feminist um, also takes into account the kind of like environment they're in. So there are like traditions and cultural practices that they still have to, norms that they still have to adhere to. But at the same time, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they're not being feminist. So basically, um, it's her taking control, of, taking back control of her life and taking the only decision she could take that makes sense within that narrative. Okay. It's such a wonderful thing to hear, like, a Malaysian Singapore nexus. Oh, <laughs> like, I haven't yay. heard it in a while. <laughs> Other awesome. than my parents, I guess. I love that. 
So what do you think, Nick? Are you still uh, determined that if you were Andrea, you would settle up? <laughs> um, okay. So I think two things. One, I think I th- it, relative to the way that you phrased the question to her at the top of that clip, yeah. like sort of in an v- earlier version of this this kind of story, uh, she would end up with, or she would make the decision to. Don't you think? Uh, like it would up. be. Yeah, like I, a, I think that's absolutely a happy, um, happily ever after, like beautiful ass wedding, be nice babies, like the whole thing. One million percent, and I think it's sort of like it's sort of when is the the older version? Like, what is the time period, right? Because I think the economic circumstances is, I think the the part this is the part that my brain kind of goes to hmm. is sort of what are the. What is the context between making a choice for a certain for more agency uh, within that within that context, sure. right? Like you know, we're currently living through a pandemic. Not to, not to like bring this <laughs> submarine into like womp, a really womp. like unfortunate place. Yeah, but we're living through a pandemic. Um, <laughs> Minus ten going- points for mentioning the pandemic. <laughs> we're we're going through a really hard time right now, which uh, uh, increased unemployment, and it's sort of like. Um, yeah, the, the choice for agency is always like a choice towards risk. It's always a choice towards the great unknown. And it's sort of, um, I think it says something really interesting about the sort of uh, economic context and place that the that Andrea as a, as a main character is, that she uh, feels like she's able to, to, to want to do that and to, to do that in the way that, like it says something about her relationship to what she thinks about society and how it's able to give her opportunities. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in a sort of a Victorian England era no- version of this novel, right? Like, uh, it's a very different set of risk and rewards. And I and I, I just find that, I find that interesting. I, I find that within the context of like, how do I understand opportunities in Malaysia right now? Especially for uh, for a, a, an educated, really mobile uh, woman. Uh, who right, because uh, she can trained. pay her own way. You know, it's right. not like, and perhaps surprisingly, there wasn't a storyline in this book where, you know, all of a sudden her mother was destitute and she had to figure out how to help her pay off her debts or someone else in her family. You know, like she Absolutely. can take care of herself. It's not like she actually needs gobs of money. It would just would be nice, right? Right. Uh, and it's sort of, I mean, I guess... You know, in a way, this is sort of me speaking as a person formed by the fact that I'm an immigrant to America and like I have this sort of like scarcity mentality. Sure. Um, the scene when uh, Eric kind of shows up in a hospital and kind of like, takes over, yeah, <laughs> the sort of like lizard part of my brain is like, oh, hell yeah, <laughs> like I don't have to worry about going to debt, <laughs> let's go. Like, and so that's I do that's that's, that's kind of like my visceral response to that scene. That's so funny because, yeah, I feel like as a, you know, admittedly white lady, I was like, fuck this dude. Like, she already (laughs) had a doctor. It was fine. He didn't need to come in here at all. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. However, I should say, I believe in Malaysia has universal health care to a certain point. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Good point. So, okay, let's talk about Andrea and Suresh because I there is one scene in particular that I remember as being like, pretty hot which is and nothing actually happens but it's when they're sitting next to each other on the airplane do you remember yeah, so that i do remember that scene it's like that business trip over to switzerland i think or something like that yes yeah um you know who who like it's a completely relatable uh <laughs> romantic situation right sitting uh chastely next to the person of your maybe may or may not be affectionate desires um that i mean that's that's interesting but it's also like grounded in the Will they one day? Yes. Uh, the 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 sort of like bloodlessness of that interaction. It's 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 um, hot without being steamy, which is interesting. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, I think you're totally right that it's it's that like unfulfilled desire that definitely seems to exist that we see a lot of in this book, as opposed to like actual payoff. 
Right. And actual uh, work, right? Like um, yeah. going into an actual relationship with either of these men requires some amount of um, agency giving uh, and also certain amounts of uh, reconstruction of one's identity, which I think, you know, having it, by the end of the book, it emerges that one of the major themes is sort of her relationship to the world, what she wants to be, her identity. And so that's that is also an interesting component of it. Yeah, and it's interesting because in a way, like, I wish there were more of that. Like, partly it was great talking to Lauren because I feel like even she sort of, like, breathed a little more life into that storyline just in talking with her. Mm -hmm. But I think that's so risky because so often with a book like this, too, you might end up, like, you know, two more pages of it and it might have felt totally heavy-handed and obnoxious, you know? Yeah, I feel like there is, and maybe this is a little too out there, but I feel like there is a way in which if you stage this book as a as a play you might get actually a lot more like meat because i think a lot of it comes through into uh like how this person moves through the world because the the format of a diary entry is very much a person interpreting themselves to themselves yeah um and so you get a lot of you know just even in that clip that you you play it like i think i got more of a better understanding about her character uh, when there's sort of uh, like a third-party analysis done on her. Yeah. And I think people, you know, are largely mysteries in themselves. And I think that's a little bit of the of something that the format kind of uh, prevents you from doing. Yeah, that's a really good point because it is just... Well, and I wonder too, actually, if like in some ways that facilitates us seeing her at her worst, right? Because she's honest with herself about like how weird it all is because nobody's judging. Absolutely. And uh, this it also makes a really interesting assumption about a character, which is that she's able to do that. Um, and that says something about her. Yeah, totally. Let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Claire from Phoenix. Hey, Nerdette. This is Claire from Phoenix, Arizona. I really liked the book. Um, but the thing that I liked the most about it is that it really did a good job of talking about racism beyond just black and white. Um, I've been having a lot of conversations with one of my friends who is Chinese and she said that the conversations that are happening around the world have been really helpful about racism but tend to only focus on black versus white. Um, and I think that this book did a very good job of factoring in how you get different cultures and how they affect what everybody's doing in their life. Um, and so I thought it was really great to see how, for example, um, Andrea's culture um, was different than Suresh's and what that meant in terms of how they could potentially be in a relationship together. So I thought it was a really good book um, and I'm super excited to hear the podcast. I think the point about Andrea and Suresh is interesting because, yes, they're from different cultures, but it seems like they do share a lot of the same values. You know, like there's a fair amount of time spent with them, like in the office complaining about the idea of a glitzy wedding, for example, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I think being uh, occupants of the same generation and the same professional class, right? Like it just builds more of a, a shareable foundation between those two characters. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, you know, it's an interesting point that... Um, I think this book uh, doesn't directly go, it, it it mentions it, it goes into it, but it doesn't really explore it. The sort of racism that happens between uh, the sort of multi-ethnicities within Malaysia and Singapore, particularly between Chinese and Malay, uh, you know, and Indian. Um, and that's not even to mention the sort of uh, Aboriginal um, ethnicities that, that come out from those regions. And so, uh, you know, there, 
I, I will I will say just as, as a matter of just discourse, um, racism in Malaysia and Singapore it's handled and thought about and related to very differently than the way it is uh, in America and Western states. Um, it is more of a fact of life and it's more overt in many ways. Mm. Uh, and uh, you know these days there there are real progressive pushback um, into being a lot more thoughtful about race uh, within within our specific context. Yeah. Um, and, you know, especially in the wake of uh, uh, the George Floyd protests and, and the Black, Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter movement, there has been sort of a, uh, a transnational, largely younger um, sort of willingness to integrate, um, or not willingness, but it, it sparked this sort of, can we integrate the, that discourse into ours? How yeah. do we localize it? And, and uh, you know, that that is maybe more of a deeper reading <laughs> than is warranted in the actual book. Uh, but it, it is, um, I, I, as a product, uh, this book, as a sort of a cultural export, it, I, I'm, I'm sort of gratified as a Malaysian to hear that it, it's opening up some Americans to, to just like having a bit of awareness that uh, racism is, is handled very differently uh, in other parts of the world. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think one... Probably the most overt example of it in this book is actually uh, Andrea's sister, Melissa, who ends up engaged or her boyfriend early on is a Muslim man. Mm -hmm. And their mother won't speak to her because she's so upset about it. Yeah. And I feel like this is that was by the end of the book, I think her mother actually gets the floor to sort of talk a little bit about why. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, it's like ha had less to do with race a little bit. Um However, I think a little bit of cultural context here that's, that's relevant is that in Malaysia, uh, you know, Muslims uh, are sort of the dominant um, ethnicity of power. Uh, and so there's, there's like also a generational thing baked into that. Sure. That um, yeah, there's some antagonism classically between uh, non-Malay uh, races uh, and ethnicities with Malay people. So thank you for explaining so many dynamics. I didn't necessarily expect or like how should I frame this I I appreciate that you are sharing some of your experiences around it because I think it's super interesting and I think it does provide some nuance to a book like this yeah this is a lot going on <laughs> is there like when was the last when was the last time you were back in Kuala Lumpur um I, I was actually last back last uh February March around Lunar New Year okay. um in 2019 I was supposed to be back in uh June but oh, you know pandemic yeah, uh but any yeah it, it's uh, it remains to be seen when I'm able to go back home again without uh you know mortal threat uh -huh, right uh knowing that this is not a perfect book is there something that's just like nice about I don't know about reading about the place where you're from Oh, absolutely. I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to make it come across that uh, I didn't appreciate this book. Like I, I had actually, um, I had a lot, derived a lot of pleasure from it in ways that I'm not so sure that it's naturally attributable to the plot. But the, you know, <laughs> even the sort of bare putting it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to be very diplomatic. Um, the the pleasures of seeing um, something structured as a rom com um, in a setting that's very familiar to me. Uh, it's pleasurable in the same way that so there's this uh, Netflix reality TV show called Singapore Social, uh, which <laughs> by all intents and purposes is not a good show. But I had a tremendous amount of pleasure watching it uh, because I'm also just a big, a big consumer of reality television and that assortment of high quality trash. Yeah, um, I say that lovingly, very lovingly. Um, <laughs> I love high quality it's a, trash. <laughs> it's sort of an interesting thing to think about this book in relationship to uh, this sort of you know, crazy rich Asians is the thing that gets evoked, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You can see the creature logic of the corporate structure here, like, ah, they like that, they will like something like this, let's of get course. more stuff like this going. Yeah. 
But one thing, and it's a completely unfair thing to compare uh, Crazy Rich Asians to, to a book like this, even though they're, they're occupying the same sort of genre area. But um, I think what Crazy Rich Asians really did was provide um, an internationalist perspective on this kind of Southeast Asian experience. Mm -hmm. However, um, this book reads to me more of a Southeast Asian uh, perspective on something that felt uh, international. Interesting. So they kind of worked in, in opposite directions for me. That's really cool. It's funny because right as I finished this book, uh, Kevin Kwan's new book, Sex and Vanity, came out. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, my, my understanding is that it's more grounded into the sort of um, jet set elite. It's very jet yeah. set. Yeah, a lot of it takes place in Italy and New York. It's kind of all over the place. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen criticism about Last King Standing as well that it's just like so much exorbitant wealth mm-hmm. and that that gets a little eye rolly. Um, but I don't know. I mean, as a person, speaking of delicious trash, who just like loved Gossip Girl, like I am there <laughs> for it, you know, like because yeah. there are just so many satisfying, ridiculous storylines like like, yes, I would like the man sitting across the couch for me to be like, hey, do you want to go to Madrid tomorrow? <laughs> Even if I have to say, fuck you, no, I have to work. <laughs> you're you're talking to the person who rigorously consumes the Architectural Digest Instagram feed. <laughs> Uh, yes, there is pleasure in wealth, and it, it is such a it's such an interesting thing to grapple with uh, when 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 a person like myself who also grapples with like real populist tendencies, uh, it's it's too far. It's very very irre- irreconcilable uh, impulses on my end. I think. Yeah, I try not to think about it too hard because it's definitely <laughs> problematic. But I don't know. I mean, it's just. I, I think part of it is just from a story point of view, like you can just when there are no restraints on any of it, <laughs> that's just like deeply satisfying, you know? Yeah. If you just check um, all the politics at the door, there's a lot to work yes. with here. That's just the cultural politics of it. Uh, yes. That's very um, that's meaty. Um, bring back to the character for a little bit. Like, what did you think of the way that um, the main character actually handled her choice? Because I I. I'm still wondering about that sort of run to the end of the book. Where, well, you just need to read a conclusion, uh, so you need to drag to a certain choice. Uh, and I'm just sort of like uh, curious as to how it could be done in a way that felt a little bit more true to character, because I didn't really buy it. Which part specifically are you talking about? Are you talking about her deciding not to be partner and quitting her job, or are you talking about her ending up at a silence retreat and Suresh magically showing up and her choosing him <laughs> that way? <laughs> so I think, like from the from my relationship to the logic of a character, quitting her job made perfect sense. It was consistent based on the events. Yeah. But um, necessarily <laughs> making the choice, like, hey, maybe I should end up with Suresh, when part of her character sort of logic was. I really want to preserve my sense of agency. Uh, yeah. Is yeah. that that took a leap that I felt kind of felt like could be could have ended better if it was more ambiguous. I don't know if it was more ambiguous, or I think, and I don't know if this would have been fun to read, but like I think it also would have tracked better with her character, as you say, if there had been more time between all of that stuff happening. You know, mm-hmm. like if yeah. she had called it off with Eric really clearly and quit her job, and then like I don't know, found a job tutoring kids or you know and like right. stopped drinking and <laughs> kind of got some of those other pieces in place yeah i think um, the silent retreat is like shorthand for and uh, i think that's what wellness. and some time had passed also yeah i think it was like several months at least so i think i think it they just sort of jumped to that and i guess i wasn't i don't know i mean i i don't think i was emotionally invested enough to be pissed mm-hmm. you know that is, uh, again, a very sort of diplomatic way to phrase it. Um, 
but yeah, I that that was my relationship to Deanne as well. Um, I, I kind of feel like I I do this, you know, with books and mostly with television shows. Is that even though I'm not emotionally invested, I'm like, what about the plot mechanics though? Oh, totally, um, totally. Yeah, and and so it's just like, how could you ratchet this up to be forty percent more interesting in the way it ended? Um, and like, I I had a real, like the ending was just sort of like, ah, well, it just just it just ended. So yeah, it's sort of <laughs> yeah. like, well, that's nice. I would say this book certainly didn't blow my mind. I but one thing that I did really appreciate about it is that I laughed out loud more than I often do reading hmm. a rom com. You know, like it was funny. And there like there's one line where and I listened to the audiobook and but, and so I like distinctly remember exactly where I was walking down the street when I heard it and was like, this phrase must become part of my vernacular because it is so <laughs> hilarious. And it was the line about how her heart did a keggle. And I just thought that was super funny and like weird. And, and I think maybe it speaks a little bit to what you were saying about Malaysian humor and like like it's raunchy, but it like. Like, you know exactly what that, well, I know exactly what that feels like. I just thought it was super funny. Yeah, uh, it, it is definitely, it has zingers. Like, it, it definitely you know? sparks. Yeah. Um, it has this thing where the the more sort of, like, relaxed, comfortable reads are ones where you feel like you're in discourse with with, a, with the author and you're in kind of, like, a really relaxed discourse. Uh-huh. And this kind of, this kind of feels, feels like that. Like, it, you're just hung out with somebody with a lot of stories to tell you. And, and as a result, it's entertaining, even though you don't quite buy into the story itself. Totally. Yeah, I think if anything, the part that I that I thought had more potential than we saw play out was actually the work storyline stuff, which I completely glossed over in our summaries. Um, you mm-hmm. know, like, we know that she's vying for partner against Suresh, but there's, you know, like, there's some drama with some companies. She ends up in Omaha at one point. Yeah. I think... And like the characters at work, I I think one thing that I really appreciated about this book is that so much time is spent at work because I feel like often one of my criticisms of a rom-com is that like a woman talks a lot about how much she loves her job, but you never actually see her doing it. Yeah. Everybody's a magazine editor. That's well well compensated. Yes. Yeah. And and like (laughs) I find that really frustrating because especially as a person who like work is one of the more important things in her life, like... Mm -hmm. You know, I spend a lot of time doing it. I think about it a lot. I would talk about it with a guy I was with, you know. Um, But like the actual plot lines of the like company, the Nebraska, it's like, what is, why? You know, like I I wished it had been more compelling still. Yeah. I, you know, that's actually such an interesting observation because like you're absolutely right. There, there, there is this sort of balance between, there's a lot of pages spent on that work drama. Yeah. Um, and so it does internalize the sense that it is an incredibly part, important part of her life. And that is something that like dominates her, her worldview and, and her thinking. Uh, but you're absolutely right. There, there's something I like I did not really track as to what. Right. Like, can you explain what actually happened with the companies and the thing and the. <laughs> and I, I say this as a person who like one of my favorite movies is Margin Call, which is like <laughs> such a wonky. How did a financial recession happen? Movie. And like I, I derive a tremendous amount of pleasure, that kind of stuff. And you're right. I, I would have loved to see more of that. Yeah, like I just think it would have been fun to, I don't know, like turn up the volume on that a little bit, you know, because yeah, because yeah, I think it's great. I wish there were more books that did spend that much time at work just because like most of us spend most of our day or at least (laughs) in non-pandemic times. Right. Like the office drama is real. Right. Like so many stories take place in that setting. But I just what would you say is like a great workplace novel, a great workplace novel. Oh, no, you're putting me on the spot. 
I, I don't I ask and I don't have an answer myself because like I you know I would say like severance or something but it's not even a workplace I mean I guess it's kind of a workplace that's kind novel. of a workplace novel I don't know I mean I'm just going through what our latest book club choices have been uh actually the glass hotel has some really great that's um yeah, uh, about a Ponzi scheme right? yeah did yeah. you read it yeah, I did. Um, you know, like, and it's not it's not entirely a workplace drama, but like the office chorus sections where like, yeah, where shit's going down and the they're like shred, like they go to yeah. buy the shredder and all of it. Like I found that was my favorite section of that book. I love I love that book. It balances you know? um, the pleasure of opulence and watching that. <laughs> that yes. Yeah. There's some resonant themes, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, this is way different, but another book club pick is such a fun age which hmm. is about a babysitter. And so, you know, it's not like a typical workplace, but it is very much about a young woman like doing her job and being very good at it and also hmm. trying to navigate power dynamics, you know? I got to put that on my list. Oh, you have to. It's so good. Uh, and I'll show also uh, dock the uh, book club episode away for, for later. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. None of it. Tag it, tag it. Okay, so before I let you go... We always ask for like a clever rating system at the end based on the book. I couldn't actually think of one for this unless it's like, should we do bottles of vodka? Let's do bottles of vodka. <laughs> so why not? <laughs> or the number idea... of uh, STIs delivered by a hookup. Like <laughs> number of watches sold. <laughs> yeah, number of watches is pretty good, actually. <laughs> uh, weekly dose of antibiotics. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> That's one out of seven, actually. <laughs> so five bottles of vodka being the best, zero bottles being the worst, a hangover being implied. <laughs> How many <laughs> bottles of vodka would you give this book, Nick? Um, two. I, I will two. say that uh, I actually, I'm glad it exists. Um yeah, I'm glad it exists. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, w I think I'm going to say three because I found it enjoyable. It was a great distraction during a really fucked up time in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it had some really interest. I mean, like we just had like a pretty fascinating conversation about a lot of different things because of this book, which is absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Um, and I look forward to more from sort of this like time and place, you know, like. I, I love to read a book that's not centered around white people and not even in the U.S. Um, and I I want more and more like it so that there's less pressure on this one to be perfect, you know? Absolutely. And and specifically, I would look, I, I'm very interested to see what Lauren writes next. Um, like, where do you go from here, I think? And uh, just having her being able to create stuff and put it out into the world, I think that's... I'm, I'm interested to see where her writing goes. Yay! Well, Nick... Thank you very much for reading a book you didn't love and talking about it with us. I appreciate it. All the things that we're talking about, all things should exist. That's, you know, everybody should make podcasts. Everybody should write books. That's my belief. Wait, you really <laughs> think everybody should make podcasts? Uh, let me let me rephrase. I think everything, if, if it has a chance to exist, it should exist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. I think that is a much more diplomatic way of putting that. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Nick, you are a delight. This was really fun. I had such a good time. Thank you so much for t for bringing me on and thanks. for having me as your first. Uh, I was just going to say, dude. yeah, thanks for uh, being the first dude. You did great. But I'm, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Nick.
Nick Kwa is so delightful. You can check out his podcast, Servant of Pod, wherever you get your pods. And also I want to thank Michelle and Allie and Rwanda and Liz and Claire for the amazing voicemails. It is always so much fun to hear from reader listeners. So I really appreciate that you chimed in. Hope you enjoyed this month's book club. If you want to keep the conversation going, feel free to join us over on Goodreads. You can just search for Nerdette Book Club. We're going to announce our August pick on Monday. So be sure to follow us on Instagram for that announcement. We are at Nerdette Podcast, both on Insta and Twitter, actually. And if you want to sign up for our weekly newsletter, I think it's pretty fun. It's like a curated list of things to cook and read and watch and do. And it'll keep you up to date on all of Nerdette's episodes. You can get that at wbez.org slash AF. The show is produced by me along with Justin Bull and our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Do your homework! Isn't that cool? Microphone sounds? Sorry. Okay, I'm going to go now for real. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.